welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, welcome in. This is the Sunday Deep Dive episode. We have Brad Freeman on the show. He's back from vacation. First off, I got to ask, how was your vacation? And then second off, for the company we're talking about today, App Harvest, have you ever heard of this company? So on the vacation, it was good. Uh, 10 days of, of pretty, nice. not, not writing a ton. I took three days off of Twitter and then um, my thumbs kind of sub- subconsciously found their way back, back to the Twitter screen. To- As they do. As as they always do. Um, this is my first uh, kind of experience or, or, or dive into App Harvest. I hadn't heard about it before, and I am a sustainability miner from college, so I was kind of um, entrenched in this culture almost and in what they're kind of doing. So it was interesting that I hadn't heard of it, but it seems like a cool company. Yeah, it should be an interesting look. Definitely not going to be a boring episode today. I'm going to let Ryan introduce the company, but first we have to talk about our flagship sponsor. Sponsor potential multi-baggers. Let me get up the talking points here. So the aim of potential multi-baggers is to find stocks that can go up 10 times over the next 10 years or compound at 26% per year. So they're looking for those big winners, those potential 100 baggers. It's in the name, potential multi-baggers. Chris, uh, the man behind potential multi-baggers, is always communicating with you and he's picking these high growth stocks to hold them for a long period of time. Ryan, you that. And a little less uh, this isn't really a talking point, but in order to get to those 10 baggers, I would say temperament is maybe the most important uh, quality. And I think Chris has a lot of that. You can see it. And he's communicating writing. with you multiple yeah. times a week about this. Probably he cares a lot about his subscribers. Yes, for sure. And he calls this, and it's part of his service, it's called a buy and verify. So sometimes, you know, people might buy something and they might not know what's going down on a year down the line. He's going to make sure you understand you know, you're able to understand what's happening, what happens because of the news release, why the stock dropped 10%, why it went up 10%, all that good stuff. I'll wrap things up by saying, if you want to become a multi, you can go to Seeking Alpha and look up From Growth to Value. You can Google it. Should be pretty easy to find there. Or you can go to App From Value on Twitter. All right, Ryan, do you want to introduce App Harvest? Yeah. So App Harvest is attempting to be slash sort of already is. It's kind of it's in its early stages, hopefully. They got uh, revenue, just a little. Yeah, they do. Um, and they have an operational greenhouse, but it's a tech-enabled farming company. And so, as I just mentioned, they have one completely built-out greenhouse, and it's massive. It's like 60 acres. You can go look at it. Um, there's pictures online, which make it, make it look really pretty, but then there's also videos that kind of go through it. It really is, I don't know if you've ever seen 60 acres of building, but you you get a good idea of the scale uh, or at least the size of it. And so they uh, this is built in Moorhead, Kentucky. And the reason I think they chose Kentucky, although the founder is also from there, uh, is because it's one of the wettest states. It's also in Appalachians, which is close to, about, I think, like two-thirds or more of the population. Um, and I think it's the 12th wettest state. And so they have a rainwater retention pool that's like 10 acres that's right next to, it's like adjacent to the building. And so they recycle the rainwater through that, or, or they catch the rainwater there and they recycle it through to use it for their crops. 
And then the uh, the actual greenhouse itself uses a glass structure model so they can receive sunlight during the day. Then it also has lights uh, so that it can work efficiently during the night as well. Um, and I guess another point to that, they use 90% less water apparently than uh, tr conventional agriculture. Um, so that's just kind of a benefit of having this controlled environment. Uh, other stuff, they actually don't go direct to the grocers or their, I guess, end customers. They use a distributor. I'm blanking on the name. It's Master Nardi. Master Nardi. It's a tough name. Tough name to pronounce. Yeah. And they've been in business for a long time, but it's, a, it's their only distributor. It's a single distributor and they have standing relationships with uh, grocers all over the country. So all these Costco, Kroger, Publix, stuff like that. And then they also have Wendy's. Um, so I guess that kind of gives you a route that they could go sort of the restaurant chain uh, style as well. And then right now they're only harvesting tomatoes. That's what they're using for their current Moorhead facility, but they have two other facilities currently under construction uh, and they're hoping to have 12 by 2025. And they're going to try to use a or try to grow a bunch of different vine crops beyond just tomatoes. I think they're starting with cucumbers and peppers. That's what they're hoping to use in the other facilities or, or grow. Uh, but I'll get into the history. Jonathan Webb is the CEO. He's the founder. He was originally from Kentucky, but he went and worked uh, in the solar industry uh, in Washington, D.C. for most of his early professional years. And apparently while he was in D.C., he heard lawmakers talking constantly about food imports skyrocketing and most of the specialty crop production was actually moving outside of the U.S., which if you look at a lot of the data, it actually has. Uh, they put this on their investor slide deck, but for in importation, domestic tomatoes, uh, the percentage of those that were imported used to be 41% in 2009. Now it's 60% in 2019. Uh, there's similar figure, figures like that for cucumbers and peppers. A lot of it comes from Mexico. Um, but this gave him an idea to basically come back to Kentucky, build a sustained environment. And he assembled this team with uh, a lot of agricultural know-how. And also there's a big labor force apparently um, in Kentucky that used to be there for the month, like coal mining uh, and I believe tobacco production. Uh, but they're not, those jobs have since sort of uh, no longer exist. So there's basically this untapped labor source that he's using. They talk about that a lot. Um, and then I'm not, I'm honestly not sure how they got funding for their first facility. Must've been venture. I think they had, they had some VCs in that slide deck. So yeah. It must've been. Okay. And then they've actually, they announced this back a while back, but they just went public February 1st. So I guess it's been what, three months, four months now since they've mm -hmm. been on the public markets. They have one quarterly report that's been out. Yeah. So that's good. You can look at a conference call, look at an earnings release, see how they're going to do that. Uh, I'll hit industry and competition. It's fairly easy to identify. The estimates are for the U.S. fruit and veggie market to hit over a trillion dollars in annual spend by 2025. Now, these are outside research estimates, but they back in a CAGR or compound growth rate of about 13%, which seems optimistic, but we'll see. I mean, either way, it's a gigantic market opportunity. Uh, however, App Harvest identifies a $6.71 billion you know, quote, TAM here for leafy greens. I'm not exactly sure how to use that information, but I mean, you know, people are going to eat fruits and vegetables and that market is kind of growing over time. The TAM is obviously large. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what, 
fragmented, but it's large. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to uh, it's hard to do anything with that information because they still have to execute. Uh, but some other indicators for increased demand for products that App Harvest likes to sell or is planning to sell. So plant based or similar diets are growing at a rapid rate in the U.S. I think it's up about six hundred percent over the last few years. And then some competitors. There's tons of them, but they include someone like Fresh Del Monte Produce, Nestle, Sunkist. There's a ton out there. Do those do the controlled farming as well? Uh, no, no, I'm stuck. I don't think many people at all do that. There's some controlled farming in the Netherlands. I'm not sure exactly direct competitors in that regard. Um, but those are more standard. Yeah, I've heard that's like a huge market for controlled farming. Uh, and they talk about uh, the CEO constantly being in discussions with the Dutch government. Yeah. Uh, so I guess maybe he's leveraging their know-how. But uh, Brad, do you want to hit management? Sure. Yeah. That that thirteen percent Kager number is pretty pretty shocking to me. I mean, if they're if they're calling that the fruit and vegetable market, I'd be kind of surprised if it was growing that far in excess of of our GDP growth. But I guess it would make more sense if it was that controlled um, farming that that we were talking about. But but I'm I'm uh, I'm going on a tangent. So off to management. Uh, so the founder CEO is Jonathan Webb. His LinkedIn picture just. I, I found this interesting. Was him in a, a jean shirt and a baseball cap. So oh, yeah, he loves that look. <laughs> he's really, he's really embracing that that persona for sure. Um, as Ryan kind of went into, he previously led a solar energy project in a public part public private partnership with the Department of Defense, um, the largest one they'd ever done for for solar energy at that time. He seems to be pretty deeply ESG motivated in terms of sustainability, and then how we kind of talked about uh, leveraging this this labor force that has been maybe left behind. Um, he, he seems pretty darn passionate about that as, as well. And he's only 36 years old, so he could theoretically be there be there for a very long time. The president is David Lee. Uh, interestingly, he was a member of the board of directors and then they kind of promoted him, I guess you could call it, to president. Not really a promotion, kind of a change. Um, he's the former CFO and COO of Impossible Food, so that was that was interesting. Uh, we, we talked about Martha Stewart being on the board of directors. She, she got a pretty sweet equity deal. Um, and then yeah, in term, good for Martha in terms of ownership, uh, 12 directors and executives combined own 39% of the company and Webb personally owns 18.7%. So he definitely has a lot of skin in the game at this point in time. That's it. Yeah. And it's a total task with these SPACs trying to find out who owns everything. Is that like, did you find it like on Whale Wisdom or did they up, update anything on, on the 10Q? Q? Yeah. So they, they, uh, they published a pretty detailed S1 um, after, or maybe not, not S1, but it seemed like, I mean, it, it was 200 pages. It felt a lot like an IPO prospectus where right. we, we got all, we, we got the ownership stake and, and we got um, their, what they do in a shareholder letter. So, um, that's where I got the information from. So it should be pretty accurate. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was just trying to uh, check because I, I was having trouble finding that. So it's a good resource if anyone wants to look at the company. Uh, there, I'll hit or go ahead, Ryan. There is also a, a pretty hefty performance stock unit uh, package for Jonathan Webb. I believe he gets up to 3% of the outstanding equity um, upon, I forget what the date was, but it vests over the next or the coming years. Okay. That seems, you know, it's, it's reasonable if they can execute, hopefully it's on executional roles, not just, not just, it's going to happen. Well, it's performance stock units. So I guess, but they better they be set the benchmarks. So. They better, yeah, they better be, uh, they better be high performance. All right. I'll, I'll have valuation. Market cap is $1.84 billion. Ticker is APP8. So they've gone from that SPAC ticker to the actual app harvest one. 
enterprise value is closer to 1.5 billion. However, the cash buffer within that enterprise value, I think is on pace to disappear quite rapidly. So I'd really use the market cap here. Uh, they just got to revenue, so they have no value, wait, excuse me, valuation metrics to speak of, but based on their projections, and again, this is a SPAC, so the estimates are estimates, their predictions, they trade at 4.75 times their 2025 revenue estimates. Del Monte, which was kind of the closest agricultural competitor I could find is at an EV to sales below one. So still at a premium of what they're projecting. And then the most important thing I think for the valuation here is trying to consider what the future dilution and debt will be. Both are probably coming depending on, you know, it kind of depends on where the share price goes, uh, but they're, they have some debt coming and that, that's going to be a big part of the story here. Yeah. And I mean, the thing that's kind of strange is that they aren't they're not financing the new projects with shares or, or like es- equity issuance. They're using debt, yeah. right? They're, well, that's one of the concerns I had is they raised $500 million. I thought that was going to be for all these farms, but they, they bought a root AI, which I guess that's, you're going to get into that too, Ryan. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That kind of surprises me. So I wonder where that, I guess, uh, dilute dilution would come from i guess just stock options to employees uh, yeah i talked yeah. about every employee has stock options so yeah they're, they're they need to raise money in some form i'm not i'm not i don't know what they're gonna do but they're gonna have to do it all right uh is it is it me for earnings yep all right so they had there isn't a whole lot to talk about so they had 2.3 million in net sales for q1 so they just started harvesting uh tomatoes this quarter uh so that's why the sales not, I mean, it's up infinity percent. Yeah, that was, that was the, that's Coifin. They had it up infinity. It broke, it broke all the charts there. <laughs> yeah. And they, they sold 3.8 million pounds of tomatoes. Okay. So I did a quick sort of back of the napkin math. Um, I looked how much does a pound of tomatoes cost? And people typically said apparently like $1.96 or something like that. Uh, and so obviously they have less in sales than they have in pounds of tomatoes uh, sold. So now are you sure that's guessing they're a low cost provider? Are you sure that's to the, yeah. Are you, there could be an issue there if that's what the consumer is buying versus what app harvest is going to the distributor. The distributor goes to the grocery store and the grocery store goes to consumer. There could be some jumps up in prices. I'll I'll check it at the break. Um, But I thought it was how much is going to the grocer or how much they're buying it for. But uh, they do have negative gross margins right now. Gross loss was four and a half million. Obviously, the goal is that that is not that that's not perpetual um but they're launching a lot of commercial operations sales training new hires i think they hire they went from 20 employees to 500 employees so there's going to be a lot of expenses recognized early on uh, and then they had a net loss of 28 and a half million they are i they're a bit of chronic adjusters uh they tout an ebitda number i mean they don't even really tout it because it's pretty negative as well but did you guys see free cash flow per free cash flow before growth? Did you see that in the prospectus? No. Brad, did you see that chart? Yeah, I mean that that was yeah that was that was pretty interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure I've seen it. Kind of, I mean, so I free like, cash flow before we spend on anything. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I was like, this is the cash uh, we're gonna do operating cash flow minus capex plus capex. All right, guys, <laughs> just say it's operating cash. Yeah, and the other part. I wonder though, because the, honestly, the sort of executive team felt a little more conservative 
than yeah. that when you read the conference call commentary. But I wonder how much of that comes from the sponsor encouraging it's, emotional it, it was for, It's part of the, yeah, you know, the SPAC. They get to get multiple on that, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they acquired a company called Root AI in the first quarter as well. This um, it, it, They talked a lot about what it does, but it's basically using artificial intelligence, which we hate that term here, uh, but using artificial intelligence to hopefully enhance their crops um, and make the greenhouse a little more efficient. Um, and then guidance, they did reaffirm their revenue guidance, which is good. Uh, it would suck if they downgraded their guidance and after a single quarter. Now they got the, as you know, they're in the real, you know, they got regulations more regulated. So right. you can trust that. And they're expecting net sales of 20 to 25 million uh, for the year. Obviously as uh, capacity expands, that should go up. Um, it's not free growth, but there would be growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brad, do you want to hit balance sheet? Sure. Uh, so the merger boosted cash position. Uh, they, they are, they're burning through cash as, as we went over. So it's gone down a little bit since then, but from, from 20 million uh, to what they have now is around 300 million in, in um, completely liquid cash. So the SPAC merger, it, it did clean up the balance sheet to a certain extent as they all do. They had about 30 million in debt that was converted to stock when it was closed. Um, their interest expense went from 618,000 to zero. But I mean, while they have no traditional debt to speak of, they do have 31 million in accrued expenses and accounts payable. They do have 30 million in what they call private warrant liabilities. And they also bought Moorhead Farm for about 125 million. Recently, they took out 75 million in debt at roughly four and a half percent interest. So that wasn't included in, in the most in the most recent 10K in terms of um, their, their debt, but, it, it, um, but I'm sure it'll be in the next one. Um, they're looking to raise another 200 million to finance what they call CapEx. Uh, what, what Ryan talked about with the root AI acquisition was 60 million total, 10 million in cash and 50 million in stock. Um, so, so the traditional debt is coming, <laughs> um, I think, and, and it'll probably continue to come as this company stays in hopefully hyper growth mode for a very long time. And just an interesting note from the latest 10Q, the company thinks they have cash on hand to fund operations for the next 12 months. So, I mean, I was kind of hoping that they would have said maybe 24 months or, or 36 yeah. months, um, but I, but 12 months, I mean, it's, it's not zero months. So, so thank you for that, that piece of information app harvest and, and good to know. Yeah, that's a, that's an important note. Um, thank you for finding that. Yeah. yeah. They need money or they will need money. How they choose to get that uh, remains to be seen. Yeah. It seems, it seems like so far they're going to go through debt, but you know, if, if the stock does well, they'll probably, We'll hopefully use their share price as a little bit of a currency too. All right, let's hit the ad break and then we're going to talk our opinion on the company, anecdotal evidence, and then we're going to go through the new topic, or sorry, segments, bull case, bear case. That should be exciting. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link and now all your computer can play is red color red color where are you <sighs> all blocked thanks to advanced security included with cox panoramic wi-fi advanced security must be enabled in the panoramic wi-fi app restrictions apply all right welcome back in ryan you were trying to look up a little bit while we paused there did you find anything on the tomatoes uh so that price that i mentioned earlier was retail price so uh, that's how much the consumer is buying it from the grocery store. I don't have any pricing on the, I, is that considered wholesale pricing? Uh, 
what I, I was selling to the distributor, I guess. I don't know what the proper term is, but yeah. So uh, exclude that number. Yeah. Don't, and we should hope, you should hope that that number comes down over time if their tech is as good as they say it is. Um, all right, let's get to the next segment, anecdotal evidence, any customer stories. Brad, anything here? Nothing to report. Uh, as, as I kind of said, I was, I am, I do, I am a self-proclaimed tree hugger and did, did minor in sustainability in undergrad, but, but um, this is my first uh, kind of experience um, looking into the company. Yeah. And you're in the, that 70% for like, or close to Kentucky market or Appalachia. So you might be able to check out some products soon. Uh, yeah. but we'll see. Ryan, what do you have on anecdotal? Uh, nothing because they are primarily selling on the East Coast right now, I believe. Um, but the video, there there was like a video that went basically follow Jonathan Webb through the facility was interesting, although that kind of stuff can be misleading as uh, a lot of Trevor Milton. Yeah, as any Nikola shareholders uh, might know. So yeah, that is the big concern here. Yeah, take that with a grain of salt, but it's also worth watching uh, to get like a grasp on the scale or the size of the facility. Yeah, and I checked out the Root AI website. Did you guys look at those videos at all? Do you I can, did not. It seemed like pretty good stuff, but that's kind of an important thing. If they're really going to, if they think that the robotics with the Root AI stuff is going to help them get better profit margins. You kind of got to check that out and see if it's legit. It seemed like pretty good pickers, but you know they're not going to show like the robots being bad. Yeah. Um, all right, I guess I'll hit my anecdotal evidence. I watched the CNBC interview with the CEO at Martha Stewart, which is about a 10-minute clip. Very interesting. There was a bit of a turnoff because Sorkin uh, was interviewing him. And he basically asked, he was like, all right, look, you got no revenue right now. It's a pretty plain question. He's like, how do we value this company? And then he got all worked up kind of went into some sort of pre almost like a preacher mode where he was like, this is the future we're building. I, I don't know that that stuff turns me off. I mean, yeah, it's they, they be, have a real product, but you know, it has to be hard to, I mean, this is on them cause they went public, but it has to be hard to answer questions about valuation when you don't have financials to really show. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is tough. But they but decided to go public, yeah. and I'll be honest, I was not a fan of their answer, but it doesn't mean the company's bad or anything like that. Um, all right, next up is future growth opportunities. Brad, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, mine's very, very macro, global uh, motivated. So I think climate change brings with it a, a severe intensification of, of weather and climate systems. Um, this makes growing food outdoors a lot more unpredictable and a lot more challenging and a lot less successful in most parts to the world. So I think that just innately favors what App Harvest is doing and provides kind of a, a really sustainable and durable growth runway for somebody like App Harvest to, to take advantage of. Um, remains to be seen if they will, but but the opportunity is there. Yeah, that makes sense. There's definitely a global or macro economic tailwind for them. And there is one right now. And you, it seems like a pretty safe bet that that should continue into the future. Yeah, and they, they even talk about that a lot as well. And I, I think controlled environment farming is probably the way the world's heading. Yeah. Um, that, well, I don't that, think the CEO's wrong about that. Yeah. They, for, they, for certain crops. Yeah. I don't they know. Do I guess that I don't they, know they talk about, about, it's a complicated industry because like they talk about, you know, climate change and all that stuff. It is a good, it is probably going to create more demand for stuff like that. But they talk about the wildfires in California you know, that that's more of like a forestry, whatever. We don't need to get into that. You yeah. know, there, there may be uh, 
they may be a little disingenuous with some of their claims, but they're definitely right directionally. I'd agree with that. Uh, I guess for me, future growth opportunities, the path, uh, the growth path is pretty much laid out here. Uh, it's clear. It's not very complicated at all. Um, continue. Finish, I think, I don't know if it's fully operational, but continue uh, expanding capacity within the first greenhouse if you haven't. Uh, make that thing fully operational and then replicate that exact same process at your other greenhouses uh, that you're currently building. Once you have one, I imagine it's a little easier next time. I I would think the inputs that would have to change are more just like uh, light exposures slash water uh, intake for the plants. I imagine that's pretty easy to control. Um, yeah. I don't think a lot has to change there. Uh, building out new foods uh, that they harvest. So I think the big ones they talked about were cucumbers and peppers. Uh, I see no reason why they can't move into that stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I'll hit mine. I mean, it's really just getting the product to market. They, they had 2 million in revenue last quarter, but in reality, they're scaling up quickly. We need to see them prove over the next few years here that the product works, that the facilities work. But then outside of that, I think there's a sneaky one that this is a huge candidate to get giant government subsidies. And if you're listening to this, you might not agree on that, like morally or something like that. And you wouldn't vote for it maybe, but it's a huge potential for them. We've seen it with the solar companies, electric vehicle companies. I wouldn't bank on it happening or invest because of it. But I mean, this guy has connections to DC. I'm talking about the, the founder, Jonathan Webb. They, we're kind of touting the UN council coming by, uh, which seems to, I don't know how much that actually means, but it seems like they're trying to establish a strong relationship with the government and they need a lot of funding. So <clears throat> government subsidies could help them. Um, Ryan, you, anything uh, I was looking for how many times it says ESG on the S1, but I didn't find anything. Uh, okay. Oh, well, let's move to highlights and lowlights. Brad, what do you like, don't like about this business? Starting with low lights, to me, this is essentially, a, I mean, it is a late stage venture capital investment um, trading in the public markets. Their gross profit margin is was negative 200% last quarter. Um, just, just to give you an idea of, of how, I, I, in, in my opinion, how long they have to go to be, to be a real legitimate, sustainable, durable business. There's so much execution risk left here. I, I own a company called Nanox, which um, this the stage that this company is in kind of reminds me of Anox, but, but I don't know, maybe, maybe the, the excitement of, of what they can do if they, if they, if they pull it off and if they execute isn't, isn't as compelling to me. So, so that would be the low light. And I guess the highlight is the space that they're operating in. I mean, there are, there are a lot of reasons to move more and more agriculture indoors that we've kind of highlighted before. So if this is real and, and if management is capable and if their products are, are, are creating real value, then, then yeah, over, over five, 10, 15, 20 years, this, this could become something very real and, and could provide a ton of upside. So my, my highlight is you don't, and, and this is, I, some people will think maybe this is a, a backhanded highlight, but you don't need to own a lot of this today. You, you need to own very, very little of this today in order to really reap the rewards over the long term. And, and I think um, that that's the way to approach it. So, so that would be my highlight. Yeah, I think we can all agree here. High risk, high reward, no matter how you're looking at this at this company. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I, it's also worth noting, like, 
it's a business that was started a couple of years ago and has essentially gone scorched earth with their uh, growth strategy. So there will they be spend, blemishes. They spend a lot of money. Yeah. There will definitely be some flaws in the business. Um, and so I guess that kicks. I'll start with my highlights, I guess. The, there are macro tailwinds. Uh, it's They have a good narrative going for them as well. I mean, you think about where the world's heading. Um, you think about bringing in that production domestically. Uh, less import costs, stuff like that. Uh, that's great. Um, and so far, the first facility looks pretty cool. It looks like, uh, I would say, maybe I'm getting Trevor Milton here, but the, <laughs> that video seemed legit. Uh, Lowlights for me. There were a lot of red flags with the CEO. I think he started crying in an interview. Um, I don't know if I, it was fake crying. I worry about the people. I just worry about that type of stuff. The, the religious figures. Maybe I just watched that WeWork documentary is staring me, but... That stuff always doesn't like it just turns me off, you know. It, yeah, and maybe he's just overly passionate, but that can even be sort of a double edged sword as well. Uh, and then there was a lot of promotionalism over ESG if you look at their investor decks, which is fine. And he did work in solar, but then they also bragged about the low cost of utility, which comes from being that close to a natural gas pipeline. Okay. Um, so little hypocritical, I thought there, um, and then there's also a lot of promoting of the stock, um, on the investor decks. Obviously that's what the investor decks are for, but they just hired like a new head of investor relations too. I don't know if that's the kind of person you got to hire early on. Um, Jeffrey Ubin, sir, it might, it might be Ubin serves on the board. He's been on the board of directors of Nikola since inception. Uh, they currently have a non-compete clause outside of Kentucky and West Virginia with their only customer. So the customer concentration risk is huge. Okay. If there's any sort of uh, anything that happens to that relationship, I don't know what happens to the business model. I don't even know if the non-compete clause extends past the termination of the relationship, but I'd love to see that contract. Yeah, I remember uh, Brian Feroldi and Brian Stoffel who do kind of a similar show to this and they covered App Harvest and they were saying, that as well. The, if they Before they were going to invest in this company, they'd have to look at that contract. And I would recommend that as well. Check out that contract, see all the details, stuff like that. Um, I'll hit my highlights. Sounds innovative. And if they're right, they'll be doing billions and billions in revenue within a decade. Because if they can get those, they're touting um, 30x yields of a traditional per acre kind of deal. And if they're right, I mean, that's going to be huge. And it's going to work. But we don't know yet. Um, and then I like David Lee, the new president that came on, who seems to be taking over the operations. If the conference call is any indication, he seems good. That's seems like he knew it for sure. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But man, yeah, just having an operational guy with experience kind of takes away some of my worries a bit. Although they're still there. Lowlights, I'd say there's a lot for me, but I'll highlight one specifically that you guys haven't covered because I agree with all all the ones that you had. So they're expecting a cost of capital for these new like term loans, mortgages that Brad was mentioning uh, on these facilities to be about four to 5%. And then even with their optimistic unit profitability numbers in the spec, I'm really skeptical if return on invested capital can be greater than this cost of capital that they're touting. And then while the root AI acquisition seems smart, you know, it obviously fits into their product strategy. I'm not really sure the ROI of these robots to pick produce are at the levels yet where it gives app harvest any sort of cost advantage 
just for reference, like in undergrad, uh, I did engineering and one of the classes to do is called like megatronics, which is the combination of mechanical and electrical engineering. And it's the hardest thing to do. These problems of like getting manufacturing units and robots to pick things are probably the hardest problem there. It's, it's an extremely hard problem. There's tons of variables. You have to combine electrical, mechanical, and computer science. I mean, it's just a really difficult task. And I'm not sure they're going to get a good ROI on that. But with that being said, I hope they prove me wrong. I mean, I'm kind of rooting for this company to They to talk succeed. about, yeah, obviously, anytime you're looking at a SPAC, you have to be squinty-eyed because you kind of have to read between the lines. There is a lot of froth and rosy projections, but they also, David Lee came on, he talked about return on invested capital numbers uh, in the conference call. And he thinks, obviously, he yeah, but those might are, be a little biased, but he thinks it can dramatically exceed that cost of capital. I'd also- Those were adjusted even though. I don't think so. The, that's what they're, they're touting that in the, um, investor deck could have changed. So as, as someone entrenched in, in SPAC land a little bit, I have four of them in my portfolio. They pretty freely call adjusted EBITDA profit and, and profit adjusted. So, 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 so they're, so you, you guys could have heard the exact same thing and, and just um, translating it differently because quite honestly, they, they use them interchangeably sometimes when they shouldn't. Right. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if they are using adjusted EBITDA here, but I, I would check on that. The ROC, ROIC number they were touting was like 12 to 16% on adjusted EBITDA before they bought this Rude AI thing. Now they're bumping up to 20%. Well, there was something that, that said north of 40%. Oh, that was, no, that was, a that was again, another disingenuous thing. That was, it was, it was return on invested capital. It was like before financing. And I was like, I'll look it up. <laughs> well, that's part of it, guys. That's part of it. Uh, I can't remember the exact number they're using, but I was like, what? No. <laughs> what do you guys, you guys aren't software. All right. Bull case, bear case, new segment. Brad. Yeah. So Brad, do you want to, we're still feeling out this segment. So just try it out. What, what kind of bull case do you, do you see with our uh, harvest to succeed here? Sure. Bull case. So I, I think it's, it's clear that climate change is going to continue driving more and more demand for what they're doing. So if the key performance indicators or KPIs or whatever you want to call them, if they can maintain lower water consumption or, or, or a lower spoilage rate or, or, or less fertility or fertile fertilization usage. Sorry, I just did a, a talk on progeny. Um, then if, if there, if there are sustainable trends here where they, they can, they can say we're 10% better than all of our competition with this, this, and this, then yeah, this opportunity is absolutely massive. And this company is going to be huge over the very long term, and, and it will be very lucrative. I think that's a big if, but, but it's an exciting if for sure. Yeah. And that's a, you know, we were kind of debating whether just before this, whether the returns on invested capital were legit, but if it is as legit as they're saying, and they become the low cost provider, there is a long runaway to reinvest and generate profits. So we'll see. Um, Ryan, what, what about you? What kind of bull case do you see for app harvest having to succeed all the time? Yeah, there is a very widespread between the bull case and the bear case here because the bull case is they are a much, much bigger company than what they are today. They're supplying fresh, superior tasting produce uh, across the entire country to grocers and restaurant chains. They success, successfully have built out several fully operational greenhouses that are uh, tech advantaged, I guess. Uh, and they have the benefits of not being conventional agriculture uh, and having a controlled environment. Um, 
also, I would imagine that as they prove themselves, the cost of capital uh, shrinks. If if they have a whole bunch of revenue and cash flow behind them, then they probably don't have to pay as much on interest rates uh, to finance new operations. So uh, that's the best case, I would say. Uh, and you can you can see it if you, if you put on rosy glasses, you could see that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I just said, it takes rosy glasses. Yeah, uh, definitely optimistic. It, there's a lot of upside if you're optimistic about this business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll hit mine. Um, so if they're successful, I think the technology has to be legitimate. They have to get that 30x yield enhancement um, or anything kind of close to that. Not It doesn't have to be exactly 30, which allows them to achieve a scale advantage. And then if I think they achieve that scale advantage, they can sell like organic produce and kind of the stuff that a lot of consumers want for less than what regular produce goes for. And then customers wind up flocking to these products. And like we said, this will really create untapped demand if you're very optimistic over the next decade. That's kind of the scenario you gotta hope for. Um, but now let's go back to the bear case. We might have to be a little pessimistic here. Yeah. Brad, what are your thoughts? What could go wrong with this company? Sure. Uh, we've highlighted that uh, the balance sheet is not in terrible shape, but it is not by any stretch of the imagination pristine and it's getting a little more stretched. Um, and so I, I think that if, I mean, if this this big if bull case that I just gave out isn't accurate and they aren't really special in how they can how they can drive lower water usage or, 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 or less soil erosion or whatever it is, then somebody like Scott's Miracle, Miracle Grow or somebody else, if the opportunity looks attractive enough or lucrative enough, can just come in and outspend them really, really easily. Um, so that, that's, that's the bear case that, that a big boy just comes in and builds 50 of these greenhouses all at once and just overwhelms what, what App Harvest is doing. Um, and, and, and I think if, if these key performance indicators aren't sustainable, if these leads aren't sustainable, that's probably gonna happen. Yeah, that's a good point. If these greenhouse type and I know they're more than just a greenhouse, but these uh, indoor farming, sorry, is the proper term. If they're really just commodities, then there's no advantage to app harvest where you're right. A company with a lot of money should theoretically be able to come in. But if there is, if they got something special, then it might not be repeatable, but, but we'll see. Ryan, what, what do you think? What could go wrong with this company? Well, there were a lot of yellow flags slash red flags. Uh, that I talked about in my low light. So if those turn out to be significant red flags, uh, that's a problem. Also, I mean, they're not inventing a new food here. So these grocery chains have existing suppliers. So they have to go in, they have to uh, sell to them and, and get them away from their existing relationships. It sounds like they have a compelling pitch, but obviously um, that's not a guarantee. So um, I guess a bad scenario is that they have unused uh facilities or unused capacity or they overproduce um, and there isn't enough demand to meet their financial obligations and they declare bankruptcy uh, or they dilute uh, in, in perpetually. Or they get taken out at 80% drawdown by a private equity firm or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess they own that Moorhead or they're trying maybe in the process of owning uh, that Moorhead facility, which is good, but there's obviously a lot of financial risk here. Um, yeah. And the, I feel like we're underestimating how difficult it is or how many, I guess, there's a lot of things that people are overlooking here. 
Um, what if there's some sort of cataclysmic event uh, or some, oh, I guess, um, chemical that, you know, we have sort of a, what's it called? Ice juice billions scenario. <laughs> oh, no. That, uh, you're, you're thinking more of like a natural disaster realistically, right? Yeah, or uh, like a Chipotle E. coli kind of thing that just totally ruins uh, the reputation entirely. I guess okay, that's that, is, that is far-fetched, but I think there's a lot of execution uh, that people might think is easier uh, than it might really be. Yeah, I didn't think about that. With it all centralized, one thing goes wrong. That is tough. But maybe the risk of that is lower than we think. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess um, that's the benefit of a controlled environment. So maybe yeah. that's the point. But yeah, they talk about the nano bubble technology too, which if you read that, that's just oxygen. Uh, but uh, I'll have to mind bear case. I mean, heavy dilution in capital intensity could really be a major headwind here, and that could hurt per share like free cash flow growth. Um, and then if the product just ends up being a commodity and highly replicable, the tech advantage that they're touting really might just lead to higher input costs and then no savings for the actual consumer, which is technically good for the consumer if they're kind of spending the same for a product that's more sustainably produced, stuff like that. But I'm looking at this as a potential outside shareholder. That's a big concern I have. Um, but let's not go too long here. Let's wrap things up more or less interested. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I got to go less interested. Um, I think in two or three years, I could revisit this and it could look really compelling right. right now, less interested. Yeah, that makes sense, Ryan. Yeah, keep it simple. Less interested for me. If you know me as an investor, this really isn't my cup of tea. I guess maybe I'm a little uh, less risk tolerant than some people, but uh, yeah, I'm just gonna go less interested. Yeah, I guess it, yeah, it depends on strategy you like to run with your portfolio. I'm less interested there is upside. as well. There is upside. There is upside, yeah. I'm less interested. I'm interested as a consumer. I want them to succeed. Could be, you know, better for the world, better for everyone. But no, not interested as an outside shareholder right now. I mean, just look at the look at the sales ratio on their 2025 revenue estimates versus a typical agricultural peer, and then add back in all of the capital intensity of this business. I mean, the numbers just don't work out. Yeah, maybe, we, you know, we could see revisiting this five years down the line and being a better risk-reward opportunity. But right now, I, I, I just don't see it. I hope I'm wrong, though. Or I hope I hope we're all wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Brad, what's the stock for next week? Um, so we are going with a, a very unknown company that Diamond in the Rough, hoping to, to uncover it for you guys, called PayPal. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. We, we're doing PayPal next week. Um, I, I've... Believe it or not, haven't done a ton of work on this company. I'm I'm a loyal Venmo user, so I'm excited to dig in. Yeah, it's uh they got a lot of businesses. People kind of know them from the dot com days, but they got a lot of business lines. Uh, it should be a fun one to check out. Um, all right, that's gonna do it for this episode. As always, make sure to check out Potential Multibaggers, our sponsor for the Sunday show. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.